Welcome to the LGBTQIA+ Fantastica Graphics Digital Symposium podcast series. We hope you enjoyed the series. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line on our Discord server and join us for roundtable discussions of this series on November the 20th, 2021 via Zoom. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events. That's Fantastica with a K. Details are in the podcast info. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each single panel. There are five panels in total. This podcast is part of Panel 5, Defying Patriarchal Expectations. The Zoom discussion will take place on November 20th at 4.30pm GMT time. The podcast is presented by Elizabeth Boothby, who is a master's student at Memorial University of Newfoundland. She did her undergraduate work at Queen's University and the University of Edinburgh. Her research explores queer and eco-critical SFF, particularly narratives of apocalypse, magic, mutation, and monstrous children. She lives in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. Her podcast today is entitled, Mom, It's Not You, The Owl House, Validation-Seeking and the Queerly Othered Mother Figure in Children's Fantasy Media. Hello. My name is Elizabeth Boothby, she, they, and I'm from Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada. I want to preface this podcast by saying that this is still a rough concept and I'm going to be condensing my thoughts somewhat in order to fit within 20 minutes. Also, a trigger warning for one mention of suicide. Okay, so let's get into it. My paper is titled, Mom, It's Not You, The Owl House, Validation Seeking, and the Queerly Othered Mother Figure in Children's Fantasy Media. This paper seeks to analyze and advocate for an often overlooked form of queer representation in children's fantasy media, that of the queer, socially awkward adult mentor. My primary focus is Ida the Owl Lady from Dana Terrace's ongoing animated Disney show, The Owl House, but it will situate her in comparison to her precedents, including Eleanor West from Shannon McGuire's Wayward Children series, Miss Peregrine from Ransom Riggs' Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children series, and Miss Honey from Roald Dahl's Matilda and its subsequent media adaptions. These characters can all be considered under a category I'll be calling the queerly othered mother figure. These are the firm but kind matriarchs who run otherworldly orphanages, the fabulous but misunderstood professors at magic schools, the lonely magical adults for whom the child protagonist's presence and love are life-altering forces. I wish to illuminate the inherent queerness of this character trope, and how it can be both empowering for children struggling to enunciate feelings of unbelonging, and profoundly healing for adults who were once invalidated children. By using the term mother figure in my thesis, I may seem to be excluding the importance of other parental genders, but I have chosen to use mother because in the narratives I have chosen to discuss, the mentor is female, and in the Western canon there is still a tendency to position women as primary nurturers. There are, of course, queerly othered father figure narratives. A case could be made for the inclusion of Harry Potter here, and T.J. Clune's 2020 novel, The House in the Cerulean Sea. But in order to narrow my focus to Ida and the Owl House, I've decided to stick with mother figure for now. By queerly othered, this paper refers to both explicitly LGBTQ adults and those who embody more metaphorical forms of nonconformity, such as an inability to participate in their fantastical society in a normal way. This nonconformity could take many forms, voluntary or involuntary. It could be a curse, a transformation, a refusal to use the right kind of magic, or a lack of magic altogether. 
For my purposes here, a character is queerly othered when aspects of their existence challenge or subvert traditions, expectations, or clearly defined societal norms, even when those norms are magical or non-human. I tend to draw most of my queer theory from works on queering the non-human, such as Noreen Gifney's definition of queerness as, quote, a relentless questioning of all categorical imperatives, the unremitting desire to undo, disrupt, and make trouble for norms, end quote. I also wish to reference the work of M. Remy Yergo and Nick Walker with their foundational definitions of neurological queerness and the word neuroqueer. Neuroqueer can be both an adjective and a verb, but for simplicity's sake, I will be using one of the facets of Walker's definition, that to be neuroqueer includes the experience of, quote, being both neurodivergent and queer, with some degree of conscious awareness and or active exploration around how these two aspects of one's being entwine and interact, or are, perhaps, mutually constitutive and inseparable, end quote. In this paper, I'm working from the understanding of neurodiversity that expands beyond autism spectrum disorder to include ADHD, Tourette's, dyslexia, intellectual disability, epilepsy, personality disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar, and other forms of atypical neurology. Conflating gender or sexual queerness with neuroqueerness and magical norm-troubling queerness is necessary for my argument, which draws not only on fantasy characters who are sexually queer, but also socially queer awkward, outcast, quirky, or otherwise asocial. Also important in this context is the young age of the intended audiences for these narratives. This narrative trope is speaking to children and teens who may have a neurodiversity diagnosis or an LGBTQ identity, but it also speaks to young people who have nothing of the sort, who simply feel different, othered, and like they don't belong. All of these children are seeking validation for experiences of queerness. That is, the mix-and-match, multifaceted, social norm-enforced sense of queerness that I have attempted to outline here. So, with that foundation established, let us run quickly through my selected texts. In Shannon McGuire's Every Heart a Doorway, the first book in the Wayward Children series, we are introduced to the concept of tumbling, where children fall into magical realms like Alice down the rabbit hole. But sometimes, these children and teens are sent back to the real world, where they are now incapable of fitting back into society. Eleanor West tumbled as a child, and never really recovered from the pain of returning, and so she made her home for wayward children as a rehabilitation center where these profoundly othered and often grieving teens could find a sense of community. It is important to note that the parents of these magically othered kids presume them to be mentally ill, and send them to Eleanor West under the impression that she can fix them. The main character, Nancy, finds a way back through her doorway and leaves the real world forever, and readers can only assume that her human parents are left believing that she killed herself. And in a metaphorical way, she did. In Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, a series of secret orphanages for mutant or magical children suspended in time are minded by Mary Poppins-esque guardians called Imbrins, women with the ability to transform into birds. The novel and subsequent film tell the story of Jacob, a boy whose family is still very much alive, who finds himself tangled up with peculiar children on a remote Welsh island. Miss Peregrine, this home's imbrin, protects the children from once-human monsters who seek to devour them, called hologhasts. These monsters are invisible to anyone who is not peculiar. Matilda, a more widely known narrative, focuses on an abused and neglected little girl who develops telekinetic powers and uses them to free both her classmates and her abused and lonely teacher, Miss Honey, 
from the clutches of the tyrannous Miss Trunchbull, their principal and aunt, respectively. And then the Owl House. This animated television show, created by Dana Terrace, has gained powerful niche popularity since its premiere on the Disney Channel in January 2020. Currently, it has aired 29 episodes. It has garnered the most publicity for unequivocally recognizing the LGBTQ identities of its characters. 14-year-old Luz Noceda, the protagonist, is bisexual, while her nemesis-turned-girlfriend, Amity Blight, is a lesbian. A season 2 character, Rain Whispers, uses they-them pronouns. And in an interview in April 2021, Dana Terrace also confirmed that, quote, it was absolutely my intention to make Luz neurodivergent, end quote. Most viewers read her as coded with ADHD. But while Luce and Amity have become the focal point for many queer fans of the show, I wish to pay more attention to the relationship between Luce and Ida the Owl Lady, who is her queerly othered mother figure. The premise of The Owl House is that Luce, after getting into trouble at school yet again for her macabre inventions and wild creativity, is being sent off to Reality Check Camp, a summer camp that will teach her how to conform and enjoy normal things. Luce, however, escapes this fate when she follows an owl through a magical door and ends up in the Boiling Isles, a Hieronymus Bosch-inspired fantasy world much more grotesque than the sunshiny ones she's read about. There, Luce runs headfirst into Ida Clawthorne, who is an outlawed fugitive, because she's a witch who refuses to join a coven, a coven that would limit her magic to one stream, i.e. one specific way of using magic. This coven system is enforced by the Emperor and his goons, and Luce quickly finds that the Boiling Isles have their own strict social norms and expectations, which Ida defies. Ida's queer otherness is also physically represented by an owl curse, which she keeps at bay with an elixir. Her owl transformation, which turns her into a screeching hybrid monster, occurs whenever Ida feels too strong of an emotion. This curse can be read as a metaphor for, by turns, mental illness, chronic physical illness, or the suppression of queer or other unwanted feelings. It is something Ida has struggled to control and hide her entire life, and which has alienated her from her sister Lilith, her well-meaning but natural remedy-obsessed mother, and her once-lover, Rain Whispers. But Luce does not initially know any of this. She convinces Ida, who is prickly, aloof, and unused to affection, to teach her magic and allow her to live in Ida's hideout, the Enchanted Owl House, along with a small, dog-like demon named King and the personification of the house itself, a mischievous owl demon named Hootie. As time passes, Luce enrolls in the local magic school, Hexide, makes friends, and comes to view Ida, King, and Hootie as her magical family. And Luce can get away with all this because her human mother, Camila, still believes her to be away at reality check camp. Two central things unite Matilda, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the Wayward Children series, and the Owl House, setting them apart in a sea of more straightforward found family fantasy narratives. The first is that the protagonists in these stories are not orphans, and they are not lost. They have the choice to stay or go, their parents are still alive. The second is that the queerly other mother figure's validation of the child protagonist is based in shared, or at least similar, trauma. Miss Honey and Matilda were both emotionally and physically abused. Eleanor West dwelt in a magical world and so spends her life trying to ease this painful transition for the children in her care. Miss Peregrine knows firsthand the dangers of the world that hunt her peculiar children, dangers that normal adults are literally incapable of seeing. And Ida and Luce are both LGBTQ+, both coded as neurodivergent, and both othered by society for refusing to conform. 
It is my experience that when you're a neuroqueer child, you long to be Matilda, or loose. But as an adult, you may realize, still burdened by the childhood trauma of chronic emotional invalidation, that perhaps you are now Miss Honey, or Ida, instead. The queerly othered mother figure trope has soothing power from both sides of the equation, and this is why it's important queer representation that we need to see more of. Now I'd like to explore some scenes from The Owl House. I find it telling that there are multiple compilations of clips on YouTube simply titled Ida being a mom or Ida being herself. Her social awkwardness and discomfort with emotion is part of what makes her so relatable to chronically invalidated queer adults. For example, for most of the first season, when Luce hugs Ida, Ida refers to it as quote, that parallel arm thing, and acts as though she doesn't know what a hug is. Ida is regularly shown being socially misfit and generally clumsy. She sometimes drops her magic staff mid-fight, sleeps on the sofa, and is distracted by shiny objects. She's terrible at cooking, terrible at dating, and she blushes fiercely when she gets embarrassed. She refers to herself as the most powerful witch on the Boiling Isles, but makes her living selling garbage from the human world. Ida is, essentially, a hot mess. She has no idea what she's doing with her life and has built up walls to keep vulnerability and intimacy out. In season one, episode seven, Ida must babysit the Bat Queen's children, and at one point she nervously picks up a baby and says, rock, rock, maternal gesture. Luce walks in and says, aw, Ida, you look so motherly. To which Ida responds, say that again and I steal your tongue. But even earlier, in episode 3, when Luce gets temporarily banned from Hexide School, Ida was awkwardly patting her head and saying, quote, Baby's first wanted poster. Good job, kid. Looks like I taught you something after all. She later hangs Luce's banned poster next to her own wanted poster. Ida comes to genuinely care for Luce, knitting her a cape, fixing all her old school mischief to get Luce allowed into Hexide, spending extra money to buy food a human can digest, and more. In the season one finale, Ida keeps using her magic to save Luce, even though using up that magic will cause her owl curse to become her permanent form. This exchange, in episode 18, is the first real vulnerability we get from Ida. Luce says, Ida, stop! You'll run out of magic! Ida says, It's my power, kid, and before you showed up, I spent my whole life wasting it. Ida, no, no, no! All right, kid, listen to me. I'm going away, and I don't know if I can bounce back this time. Watch over King. Remember to feed Hootie. Please, no. And Luce, thank you for being in my life. Now, Ida survives. She says she loves Luce and hugs her back for the first time. But the catch is that she loses her magic, further othering her. But still, in season two so far, we get scenes like Ida making shopping lists and looking at a photo of her, Luce, and King and saying fondly, you've changed, Owl Lady, but it's worth it. When Luce admits she feels guilty for Ida losing her magic, Ida says, you think throwing your life away is going to help me? Well, it won't. Unfortunately for you, my life is pretty great because I'm friends with Luce the human. In season two, Ida is healing her relationships with Lilith, her mother, and Rain Whispers. She also comes to terms with her owl curse. In episode 8, Hootie accidentally sends Ida into a deep, hallucinogenic dream with magic cookies, where she is then forced to face her literal inner demons. This episode deftly explores our complex relationships with our illnesses and the feelings we cannot control. 
and in the end, Eda reaches a truce with her inner owl beast, resulting in her transforming into a new, harpy-like form, where she is still her conscious self, but with owl powers, the best of both. Eda's curse, in effect, becomes her new magic. Loose being in her life has been the catalyst for all of this growth and change, and the Owl House is undeniably as much about Ida's character growth as about Luce's or Amity's or anyone else's. In Ida, Luce has found a mentor who understands her queerness in a way her human mother could not. In Luce, Ida has found unexpected affection, a reason to face her trauma, make peace with her curse, and repair her relationships. Just like the events that are depicted in the title sequence, they rescue each other. A reoccurring line in the Owl House is, Us weirdos got to stick together. It's said by both Luce and Ida in separate episodes. That sense of equality of experience, adult and child meeting each other in a shared space of pain, can be hard to cultivate in conversation between parent and child because of the inherent power imbalance. So let's talk about quote-unquote real parents. Throughout the show, Luce is shown being in touch with her human mother over text message, maintaining the lie that she is at camp. She's also shown missing Camila and has a framed photo of her that she sometimes looks at sadly. At first, Luce adamantly chooses to stay in the Boiling Isles, but then the choice is taken from her at the end of Season 1 when she's forced to destroy the portal to the human world in order to keep it out of the hands of the Emperor. In Season 2, we begin to see how Luce's love for her mother and her desire to return to her conflicts and wrestles with the validation and belonging she feels living in the Owl House with Ida. At the end of the mid-season 2 finale, which is the most recent episode we have right now, Luce tells her mother the truth, but only as a ghostly projection through a temporary portal. They have the following exchange. Luce, I, I need more time, but if I keep working my hardest, I will make a working portal, I promise. Camila, as scary as this is, it really does seem like you've matured. Luce, yes, I've learned so much. Staying here was the best decision I ever made. Camila, you chose to stay there? Oh, uh... Were you trying to live out some witch fantasy? Did you... Did you hate living with me that much? Mama, no! At this point, Luce begins getting pulled back through the collapsing portal by Ida and King on the other side. Camila says, No! No, 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 no! When you come home... Promise you'll stay here. I didn't mean to push you away. I swear, things will be different. Luce, Mom, it's not you. It never was. Camila, promise me, Luce. Please. And Luce begins to cry and she says, Okay, Mom. I promise. This scene, where an ostensibly typical mother shames her queer child for their fantasy and their choice between two worlds, hits hard. Camila's guilt in perceiving herself as a bad or lacking mother extends outwards, and in turn guilts Luce into making a promise she doesn't know if she can keep, a promise that forces her to choose one or the other. And this is the first time I have seen a queerly othered mother figure narrative engage directly with this very real problem of what to do when you're a neuroqueer child who seeks validation beyond your family, even when that family does love and support you. This is what makes the Owl House so validating for young queer people, because we finally see that choice, this guilt-ridden, unspoken thing, acknowledged outside of our own heads. We're not necessarily lacking in parental love and support, but we seek validation beyond our families because we have experiences that they don't understand, and may not even have the capacity to learn to understand, especially if our families are heteronormative or neurotypical. The question... Am I not enough for you? 
presents an ultimatum to the queer child. Soothe your mother's ego by telling a lie that will hurt you in the long term, or confirm that she isn't enough for you, hurt her, and inevitably create a rift between you. Since the Owl House is currently on a mid-season hiatus, we have yet to see how Dana Terrace will resolve this conflict. However, given how original and nuanced the show's representations have been so far, of mental or chronic illness, LGBTQ plus issues, and parental and mentor relationships, I have high hopes for a genuinely validating solution, the kind of cathartic co-making a family that I personally longed for as a child and teen. One final thing I would like to mention, in parting, is the phenomenon of shipping Ida and Camila together. There's a subreddit of fan art dedicated to this concept, where Luz's two mother figures are in love with each other, and I find this to be further commentary on the longing for a combination of parents and mentor figures. Currently, the Owl House has plot conflict because Luz feels she must choose between Ida and Camila and their separate worlds. But if Ida and Camila got married, it would, in a very simplified, normative way, erase that conflict. The fact that this would also be a lesbian romance is relevant too, and it makes me wonder how many of these shippers are queer themselves, longing for a fantasy world where all the people we love get along. A world where neuroqueer children don't hurt their parents' pride with their validation-seeking, and aren't asked to choose between a limited reality and the tumbling rabbit hole of queer expansiveness. A fantasy world where our parents and our magical adult mentors can interact without tension, and where we are finally allowed, without guilt, to ask for what we need. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the discussion of The Owl House. This concludes the podcast series of LGBTQIA plus Fantastica graphic narratives. If you're interested in any form of LGBTQIA plus Fantastica narratives, we will be releasing a special edition of Fantastica Journal next year, and we'll be soliciting fiction and nonfiction reviews, as well as critical articles starting early 2022. If you enjoyed this series or have questions, join the conversation with us on Discord on November the 20th, 2021 for our Zoom webinars. For details, go to fantasticajournal.com and select the upcoming events. The discussions are free and open to all, but registration is required for each of the five Zoom panels. We look forward to seeing you there.